Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. Is your host, KJ, coming back out to you one more time. So I'm going to get some housekeeping in the way. So as you know, we have got the contest winner, well, the giveaway winner for last month. We plan to do um, giveaways every quarterly or so to people who live in shelter um, and the family homeless shelter, I would say, to be more specific, because we have so much different categories of people in shelter. And it's also only for New York City. When we get a little bit bigger, maybe we could do you know funding for other states. But right now, we could only do for NYC, sorry. Um, please also follow us on other, our other social media. The link tree will be down below, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And we do a little here and there on Reddit, but there's nothing to really follow on there. And we drop videos we try as much on youtube um it's usually these kind of videos so when you see when you see this guys it'll be on youtube so hey <laughs> um and also if you know anybody who wants to be on the podcast who wants to give resources to the podcast because we do have a resource packet again that'll be in the link tree down below we would love for you to get that information if you're a person with lived experience who has um experience in a family shelter in new york city with your child, we would love to have you on the podcast. Um, you can show your face, you cannot show your face. It all depends up to you. We take all walks of life of people and we just want to hear your story so we be able to learn from it and also know that people who are whoever's listening could either if they can help to solve the problem, they can solve the problem. They are a person who's in it right now, they could know that it's not gonna be always in this predicament. You could have a way to come out of it. So yeah. that's a little bit about that. But I'm gonna say his full name because I love it. I'm just saying. I know he gets it a lot. So, <laughs> Michael Jackson. I'm just saying. His yeah. name was Michael Jackson. His real name was Michael Jackson, guys. So, welcome to Michael Jackson. So, Thank yeah. you. Thank you. No middle name either. Just Michael right. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Did Michael Jackson have a middle name? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, Joseph. Yes. His name definitely was Dad. Probably yeah. I knew that. Probably yeah. I knew that. Yes. If yeah. you're young, you're probably like, who's Michael Jackson? But if you're older, you know who Michael Jackson is. He That's was right. He was a, when I was born. He was a, he was fourteen. He was still a child singer, Ooh. and he was like a, you know he was like a very talented. By that age, everybody knew he was going to be very talented. But he was right. cute, and he was still black, and he was you know right. he had his he still had his regular nose. And, you know. Right. He went, through, he went through a lot. He went through a lot. But he, he was one of the greats, and probably the greats to be honest. He yeah. he was very talented as a man. Very talented. Really, really, really talented. Yep. Um, his little childhood was robbed from him, but you know. That's true. It is what it is. What can you do? So we're sure. here to make changes. So these things would have happened to our kids, you know? That's true. So, <laughs> but... I, you know, I think when I think about him, I think that I think about the lesson of you have to have people around you that are willing to tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. And I don't think he had that. Right. I think people, um, you know, all of us fall into this, whether or not you're a celebrity or not. Like, you want to hear people just, like, pump you up and tell you everything you do is right. Right. But no matter what, you got to have at least one person that if you do something crazy, they'll be like, you know what? That's kind of crazy. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) got to have a person to check you. Yes. Yes. Otherwise, you'll start buying monkeys and zoos. Right. Yeah. Ah, poor thing. Poor thing. But. So Michael's actually, he writes, he's a writer, he's a yes. conference writer, I wish I had that talent, but if I had to pick writing over talking, I would definitely pick talking, oh, um, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you, but um, he he's a writer, and he has accomplished so much in his life, and he's a person with lived experience, actually. Yes. I want him to tell you a little bit about himself and how he's come this far right now. Where are yeah. you in life right now, Michael? Well, right now, I'm in a, 
I'm in a relatively stable place in terms of housing and even in terms of just like my, my son just got accepted to transfer to college. I'm very happy about that. But, but um, yeah, I, you know, I had an experience with homelessness both as a child and as an adult, um, mm. as a son and as a father with my son. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you're going through this stuff, a lot of us don't realize how many other people are going through it. And they don't even realize, like, I didn't realize I was homeless as a kid. Right. Right. I didn't define it as homelessness. Like I was living with relatives. We were living on couches and couch surfing and all of the stuff that we now define as homelessness. And I didn't even know that, you know, my mom sort of shielded that from us. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I looked back and was like, oh, wow, I had housing insecurity, you right. know, growing up. And then and then again, um, and then as an adult, um, you know, the most recent experience with homelessness was uh, my late wife passed away and I was in a, my son and I were in an apartment here in New York City that wasn't safe that wasn't like uh it was a legal basement apartment we didn't know that it was an illegal basement apartment the uh bank foreclosed on the landlord we didn't even know he was behind on the mortgage <laughs> after like, you paid all the rent yes we had paid the rent and done everything that we were supposed to do and then one day the lights went out and we had no electricity in the summertime during a heat wave you know and um and we didn't know that he was, he had all these violations and all this stuff that we didn't know. And so, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of us that deal with housing insecurity and homelessness struggle with is sort of the guilt of, well, maybe I did something wrong. I yeah. shouldn't have something. I shouldn't have, you know, whether it's substance abuse or whether it's physical abuse or maybe it's, you know, you didn't do as well in school, so you didn't get the good job, so you couldn't have, whatever is we often will blame ourselves and even I was 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 in that zone and and I was in a situation that objectively you could see it had nothing to do with me right, <laughs> right? like literally nothing to do with me but I still felt the shame and the guilt that often comes with housing insecurity with homelessness with poverty in general um you know, and I had done, quote unquote, all the things that you're supposed to do. I had gotten my college degree. My wife had had her college degree. And, uh, you know, we, we did all the things that they say that you're supposed to do for things like this not to happen to you. Right. And all it took was, you know, her illness with uh, cancer and her death. And then um, and then the landlord just being crappy and. um and from then I was moved, we were displaced. We were categorized as displaced. Right. Um, and there's there's also, I'm sure many of the people who are listening will know this, there's this education curve that you go through. You have to learn all of these terms, right. like displaced versus homeless. And, and uh, are you in an at-risk group or not an at-risk group? And, you know, mm -hmm. um, one of the issues I had uh, when we, when I was asking for help, you know, we, there was a point at which we weren't homeless yet, we're still in the apartment, the lights were out, the apartment was going to be foreclosed. And I reached out for city agencies and, and, and the other organizations. And one of the issues was I didn't fall into 
the categories, right? So some of the organizations would only help you after you got evicted. Which is ridiculous. And I, <laughs> right. And I wasn't evicted, right? right? And some of them would only help women and children or people in domestic violence situations. And for guys, they would only help uh, veterans, guys who have been in the military. Right. Which is great. Like all of those communities need help and they all right. have their special issues. But for the for people who don't fall within these categories, right. it, you know, my son was over 18. So it wasn't I wasn't dealing with a little kid and I I never been in the military. It wasn't a sort of domestic violence situation or a substance abuse situation. All right. of the um, sort of slots that they put you in. And so I got turned away from a lot of places um, and not even turned away in a, we can't help you, but here's a list of places who might sort of way. Right. Um, and this ties into something else I, I, I definitely wanted to touch on with you today. I wanted people to hear is the importance of dignity, right? Of us having believing in our own dignity and our own, like we deserve to be treated with dignity, all of us, no matter what your issue is, no matter, you know, whether or not you have uh, been incarcerated or you've, you've quote unquote done bad things or whatever it is that, that you might be putting on yourself, that all of us deserve a certain level of dignity and to be treated with respect as people and individual, and, you know, children of God, right? Right. And what happens in the process of homelessness and shelters and all of that thing is a lot of times the interactions you have, you're not treated with that dignity. And so you have the internal sense of shame and blame that goes on. And then you have these interactions with either city agencies or whatever, where you're being treated um, with disrespect. And you go to agencies, they don't even look you in the face. They're just looking at the paper the whole time. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I, had a, I took my son because I used to take him when we would go deal with the city, you know, because he needed to be part of this process. You know, I didn't want to I, I wanted him to, to see it and understand it and not be shielded from it. Right. But I also wanted to talk to him about it to process it. Okay. Um, my son is on the autism spectrum. And he's sort of high functioning, but it's still sometimes it's very helpful to talk to him about these social interactions because it doesn't click for him the way it does for people who aren't on the spectrum. Right. And so I took him to the agency and, you know, you wait in line and you finally get your number called and we go down to this cubicle and the guy didn't even look me in the face. He didn't say hi. He didn't anything. He just like started going down the checklist and sort of treating me like a number. And I did something I had learned from my mother many years ago, which is you got to force them to see you right. as a person and, and do it in a way, you know, you could do it in a sort of aggressive way, <laughs> which sometimes happens. Right. But for me, it was like I use sarcasm. And so he was asking me these questions and I just stopped and I said, and I looked sort of like he's looking at the paper and I sort of put my face in between the paper and, him, <laughs> and I said, hi, good morning. How are you? Right. And 
he looked up and was like, oh, hi. Good morning, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> and it forced him, right? Right. And I get that many of them are um, overworked and that many of them are underpaid and many of them are undertrained. I get all of that. Sure. Right? But it is like when you're going through the process and you're dealing with that on a daily basis, coupled with just bureaucracy and you know paperwork and all the other things and the sense of guilt that we sometimes put on ourselves, it's very taxing and it wears on you right. and it ages you and it could even make you physically ill, right? For sure. Um, so I wanted to definitely touch on like we need to give as people going through this we need to understand our own self-worth that we that we deserve to be treated with dignity and we are you know children of god no lesser than anybody else right um and that we have to in small ways and in productive ways demand that the system treat us with that kind of dignity um i was at a meeting this week and one of the guys who's a homeless advocate, and he was asking a really tough question, which is how do you how do you instill self-worth in people? How do you get people to see their own value when they've been told either by the system or by whomever or by themselves that they do, that they deserve the bad things that are happening to them? Um and it's tough. Like, I have no answer for that. But it's, I think it starts with us um, understanding and that we're all, that none of us are better than anybody else, whether you've had a substance abuse problem or you've been incarcerated or whatever it is that you might blame yourself for your situation, that none of that excuses being treated without dignity. So... Um, I had I was blessed to I was I was uh, raised in a single parent household, very poor in in southern Jersey, um, and uh, in the eighties, me and my sister, and my mom, my mother was uh, disabled, and so we had a lot of housing insecurity, a lot of income insecurity, and a lot of violence in the neighborhood. It was like the crack days, you know. It was all the things. That when you watch television now about the 80s right <laughs> and uh and i was like a teenage boy so i was in a very um you know the danger came from the neighborhood and it also came from the police and it also came from you know it came from all the all the ways um but my mother had this thing where she demanded people treat her with respect and here she is this disabled black woman poor black woman and but in her mannerisms with people in her interactions with people and it's not about sort of saying you will treat me with respect <laughs> you know? right. like, that's not it but it's I think it starts with with understanding you deserve it deserve that right. respect and then kind of you know making people look you in the eye and, and, and see you as equal. Um, so I hope that that lands with people um, who might be listening, who have gone through this stuff um, that, you know, we have to look, we have to, first of all, be kinder to ourselves. 
<laughs> and be yeah. less like, oh, I should be doing this or I shouldn't have done that. Less punitive about our humanity. Um, and and also demand that other people treat us with that respect. So. That's true. I'm happy that you brought up actually that um like when you went to the HRA office and you did that because a lot of times the people in the system, I think what it is, some people like data, some people like to have like, you know, that interaction, but a lot mm -hmm. of times people see you as numbers. Yes. And not just a number on the paper. No, I'm a real person who has real needs, who needs yes. real help. And I think yeah. that's a problem. And a lot of times people in those offices, as you said before, they are overworked, yes. they're underpaid, and they're undertrained. A lot yes. of them. People yes. have been there for 20 years. Um, Yeah, they got the hang of it, but usually the newer stuff, they're confused about it because it's like, that's not part of their forte. They so got 200 people on their caseload, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's some of it, I mean, some of them are just jerks, right? But I oh, think, but I think, um, you know, I tell people who aren't from New York, you know, it's, people have this image outside of, of New York that, oh, New Yorkers are so rude and they yeah. don't say good morning and, and they're really uh, brash with you or whatever. And it reminds me of what I tell them, which is, you know, we live in a city, it's, it's almost 9 million people that live here. Right. And so, because it, and on your way to a place, you might pass 10,000 people on the train. You might right. see, visually see that many people. And so for these people who live in small towns, they look at it and they're like, oh, you guys don't say hi to each other. Well, as a practical matter, <laughs> you couldn't get anything done. If we said good morning to every person we saw, right? And so I think it's human nature when you're when you are overloaded with numbers to go into yourself right. and to be sort of like, um, to create a filter where you you kind of distance people. And I think that's what happens with some of these workers where the numbers are so overwhelming in terms mm -hmm. of their caseload and in, and even in terms of like their power to even do to affect change right. is so limited and their numbers are so large until psychologically they just sort of like cut themselves off and um, maybe, you know, to protect themselves, we'll try to see you just as a number. Like, I can't get into your story. I can't get into your story. I got a hundred other people. Right. And I get, I get that. But um, the damage it does, um, you know, as a practical matter, because what happens is no one wants to be treated like that, right? Exactly, it's true. And so if you keep getting treated like that, it is perfectly normal to disengage and to not ask for help and to not deal with those agencies because you don't want to be, um, you don't want to be dehumanized. You don't want to have to go through that. You know, I still have to go to HRA sometimes. Mm -hmm. I had a, I had a situation um, this year and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it, you know, I don't mind <laughs> telling it where I had to recertify. Right. And, it, and again, this is a thing. This is one of those I did everything right situations. Right. You right. had to recertify. You had a deadline to recertify. I did it within the deadline. The you know, I did my call. The lady said, oh, well, all you need to do is, you know, upload this document that says that your son is enrolled in school. I did that. I verified that she got it. It was time for my uh, benefits to hit my card. Nothing came. This is a week mm. week before Thanksgiving. 
no, no money, no food. money for food. Right, no money for food. This is like the fifteenth week before Thanksgiving. No money for. Food. Well, again, this is a situation where, like, I I thought this was going to happen, but right. you can't really complain. You can't go into the office and complain until something happens. Right, and that's annoying right. part yes. about it. You can't just like me. You have to wait till you get evicted. I had to wait until the money wasn't there. Right. To go in and say, hey, the money's not there. So anyway, I went in and the lady was very nice, I have to say. And <laughs> and she was like, oh, no, you did everything you were supposed to. Somebody didn't press some button, do something on their end that they were supposed to. That's crazy. And they said, oh, well, it'll be there in three to five days. Well, three to five days was the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. And... Uh, it came up Wednesday before Thanksgiving came up money wasn't there <laughs> oh right? now each one of these interactions I had to go into the office and each one I I was sort of emotionally preparing myself to be treated in a in a dehumanizing way I was like it was stressful it was anxious I was surprised when I wasn't treated poorly right. happy but surprised um and eventually they sort of like were like, Oh yeah, we put it on your son's card and we didn't we didn't put it on your card or some craziness and it worked itself out. Um but I could totally see people trying to avoid the stress of going into the office and doing all of this sort of like uh background stuff and making the calls and staying on hold for as long as you need to. Just because of the stress and anxiety that it creates. Um you know, and this is why I tell people around homelessness and around any kind of social program around poverty that being um, poor and having housing insecurity. Now, first of all, in America, probably 80% of us have housing insecurity. Housing insecurity just means if something changes, you might not have a place to live. And a lot of people live with housing insecurity in this country that don't understand that they do, right? And, um, you know, we we just have to understand that there's a lot of us going through that stuff. Um, and, and that it is a trauma. Being poor and having housing insecurity is a trauma in and of itself. It is emotionally traumatic. It, um, your blood pressure goes up. You may have trouble sleeping. Like there are physical manifestations of the stress that comes with going through this. And if you add on to it things like if you have a kid, as you know, if you're a parent and you have to shepherd your kid through it, that's extra stress. Um, many of us have uh, uh, some some people have substance abuse problems, so it sort of uh, pokes at that struggle. You might be going through that struggle, and here are these stressors poking at that. Um, for me, I have uh, depression, clinical depression, um, which is its own thing. And so I have to be very careful about making sure that the stress around housing insecurity doesn't exacerbate my depression. And I'm like, oh, I don't need to take my medication. I don't need to go to therapy, you know, and then that gets. So, I mean, I think that there needs to be more of a recognition in these spaces that you know it's a tra it is a trauma and to treat it like a trauma 
and to see these the ways in which these things are interconnected and can make them uh, make all of the things worse or all of the things better if we don't see that so hey it's a girl Kay did thank you for coming for part one of michael's story we have a lot coming up so i'm i'm gonna say in this one if you don't get to hear the one after this from me um have a happy holidays be safe wherever you are and listening to this podcast if you need help I have the most resources in New York City, but if you need help in a different state, I can see what I can do and who can help you in that particular state. Have a warm and healthy new year. And I probably will say this again in the next episode because part two is coming out next week, Wednesday. But in case you don't hear that one in time, I just want to say that just be safe out there on the roads, guys, and just come in and tune in for next time. And thank you for supporting us for this year, guys. Also, follow us on our other social medias. And thank you for listening. Bye.